Listener Production. Shares. Market. The S&P. The ISX. Stocks. This is Motley Fool Money. Welcome to Motley Fool Money, the podcast that is still defying inflation. I'm Motley Fool's Scott Phillips. He is Strawman's Andrew Page. How are you, buddy? Very good, sir. Very good. How are you? I'm exceptionally well, mate. You are, of course, the founder and managing director of strawman.com, which is, I'm reliably informed, a private online investment club. Hey, is that right? That's correct. You got it. <laughs> Never gets Eventually. old. Eventually, <laughs> Never gets old. Mate, uh, thank you for joining me this, well, we're doing it on Thursday morning as we always do, but this, uh, let's pretend it's Friday, theatre of mine, Friday afternoon. Um, another massive week of earnings. Is it, I think this is probably the busiest week so far and probably of the of the earnings season. So many different companies throwing numbers out the door. Um, we won't cover most of them, frankly, because there's just so much going on. We'll try and pick out a couple of bits and pieces from earnings season. We'll talk about a few different things as well. Let's start, mate, if we can, with something that you and I, I sent you a message about uh, half an hour after we'd recorded last week's podcast. We went, oh, we forgot to talk about this. And so he said, let's do it next week. So we are going to go back a week. Again, speaking of theatre of the mind, play the uh, the dream music, that thing. Let's go back a week. Um, last week, the aerial imaging company Nearmap was bid for by a private comp- a private equity mob called Toma Bravo. Mm. They offered two dollars ten a share, and it kind of seems like the deal is done. Management very quick to accept the deal. Not only did they accept the deal. They've given these guys not only exclusivity, but they're going to pay them $3 million <laughs> if no deal is done. Uh, I'm not a shareholder. It is a recommendation of Motley Fool Share Advisor. And a couple, I think maybe a couple of services at the Motley Fool. Um, this seems pretty bloody desperate, doesn't it? It's like someone saying, can I buy your house? Yeah, yeah, please do. And if you don't buy it, that's okay. I'll give you some money. So, well, what, you know, if you're not the bidder, why are you giving someone some money if they don't go ahead with a deal? Um what am I missing, mate? Uh, well, no, I, I th- that is the one thing that I picked up as as well in the announcement. It's like, oh, take over offer, a bit of detail. Oh, oh by the way, um, we've agreed to a to a reimbursement fee up to three million dollars if it doesn't go ahead. It it doesn't. It is really odd. I mean, so I'll put it. I frame it in more plain English. So this U.S. private equity firm knocks on the door and says, "Hey, we're kind of interested in buying the business." Nearmap says, yeah, sure, come, come on in and we'll show you all the books and all the things that you, you need to know. Um, they spend a month or so pouring through it. They reach a point where they say, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll give you a $2.10 bid. And in, in small writing, you know, non-binding, um, indicative, you know, et cetera, et cetera. I, we, we can walk at any stage <laughs> if we want. Um, Nearmap go, that's cool. Actually, now we're going to give you seven days when no one else can come in. I'm not even going to let any anyone can knock on their own and say, we'll give you $10 a share, $20 a share. No, you're not allowed to, not allowed in. And if you don't like what you see, we'll, we'll, we'll pay you for your troubles to the tune of $3 million, mm-hmm. which, which is just really bizarre. Now, it is, it is the board's duty to always look out for the interests of shareholders. Mm-hmm. And if someone's knocking on the door and is going to offer you a price that's just too good to be true, you absolutely need to take that seriously. Um, and you want to facilitate that? O- obviously, you do. Um, but that is a really unusual kind of thing. Uh, as you say, it does smack a little bit of desperation. So that's that's really weird. The other thing that's really weird is, as well, is it wasn't that long ago before shares were sort of trading above that um, anyway. In fact, well above that kind of stuff. So, you know, it kind of feels as though it, it, it is a little bit opportunistic. Is it the situation where this is too good to be true? I know a number of our members on Strawman saying, I'm still getting a pretty good price here. 
And the third bizarre scenario is that yesterday, so Wednesday uh, at the close, shares closed at $2.15. The bid is for $2.10. Yeah. <laughs> and this is after the board said, yeah, actually, we we're going to recommend that you take the $2.10 offer. So, so obviously, the market, in its you know, infinite wisdom, expects uh, a better a better price to come along. Although, unless I've missed something, I don't see that that, that is at least nothing's been dis- disclosed that such a thing is on the cards. What am I missing? I don't know. Um, I have a real issue with this one, mate. I so the the, the problem is we don't we don't know not on the inside. We don't know what's actually going on. The the biggest challenge I've got is to your point. This was a four dollar stock eighteen months ago. Mm. It was a one dollar ten stock three four months five months ago. Yeah. So management say, hey, we got an eighty nine percent better price than what it was trading at when these guys first knocked on the door. And so look at us, we're really good, we're geniuses. And at some yeah. level, if you believe the market's relatively efficient, then you're saying, hey, these guys are going to pay us almost double what the market was prepared to pay a few months ago. Mm. Therefore, it's a great price. Therefore, why would we look to give horse in the mouth? Mm. On the other hand, I think it's very reasonable then to ask, well, why weren't you guys flogging the company at $4? If, mm. if, if $2 is such an, att- $2.10, such a, an attractive price, such an outstandingly great price that you need to take the money, that at four dollars, in theory, this business—unless and I'll get to one deal less in a minute—at four dollars, this business is, was was twice as valuable, mm. and no one at that point said actually the shares the, the business is too expensive, or the shares are too expensive and overvalued, or let's find a buyer right now because man, this can't last. Mm. So I, I'm always I'm always mindful that when a when a management team or a board take an offer and rush to take an offer. That you know, if, if you're a director, you want to show more. But look, look how much value we created. Look, we got to take away, take over. Done. How clever are we? How, how much money have we made for you? You're welcome. Uh, pat us on the back. Give us another directorship somewhere else. Um, so I'm always mindful of that. I, it just strikes me, mate, that if, as I said, unless they were rushing to sell the business at four bucks or raise more capital at four because the business was so horribly overvalued, mm. they didn't say there was no, there wasn't a peep from the business, and yet. At $2.10, this is a must-take-the-deal. We'll give them money to make sure this happens. Yeah. And that's the bit I really, really struggle with. The unless bit is unless <laughs> this is a deteriorating business or there are factors like, for example, in a market, in, in, a, in, a, in an economy where rates are going up, where cash might be hard to come by, if Nearmap are thinking, well, we're going to have to raise capital soon anyway, but... Uh, maybe we couldn't do that. So maybe this is a burning platform and maybe we have to make a deal because it's better than if we didn't do something. And so if there's something I, on the inside of the business that is the, the manager saying, you know what, $4 was a good price because this was a great business was growing. We had great hopes for it. Subsequently, we realized it's actually not the best business in the world. The growth's not going to be there. There's going to be some challenges. So let's get out now while they're going good. Then mm-hmm. then I guess fair enough. And, and they should do that, right? If it is genuinely worth a dollar, then get the hell out of two two dollars ten. Okay, I hear what you're saying. That makes sense. But then I put this to you. Um, Tomo Bravo, they're not idiots. You Correct. know? Oh, that, yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> now, they they have been on the, they what they call the data room. They have been behind the curtain. They are poor with, with their extremely well-credentialed, highly paid forensic accountants, have been going through the books, have been interviewing management, have been looking at this thing in far greater detail than we can ever hope to do from the outside. And they still look like they're going to go ahead. Yep. So if it is a burning platform, it's like, well, what the hell are you guys missing? Correct, correct. Do you know? So th- they obviously think this is investment 101. Mm. Tomo mm. Bravo obviously think they're getting a good deal at 210. Otherwise, they wouldn't do it. 
Other, you know, again, there's no there, until they came along, there was nothing else on the table. Shares were miles below where they are now. So for them to come out, offer a massive premium, spend almost two months now looking through the books with you know, exclusivity and all the rest of it, and still think they're getting a good deal, yeah, it's just, it's just, it, it could just, it could just be that the board is like, this is all too hard. <laughs> We just you're over it. Maybe and maybe it's yeah. as simple as that. Yeah, yeah. I just it's it's, it's hard, isn't it? Fascinating. It's hard. I it's fascinating. I just I really I really struggle. You know, if someone said to you, "Hey, your house is worth four million dollars," and then so now actually now it's worth a million dollars. Actually, I'll give you two million dollars for it. Mm. I, I mean, one you might say, "Gee, I, there was so much emotional pain in in seeing the price drop that I'll take anything." But I just I, and I, I I've made this point about man, this not, let's make it about more than near map. I've said to you before, mate, I actually think we give directors too much credit broadly for their capital allocation abilities. Oh, and their, 100%. And their skills, right? And so yeah. I think there should be some sense of how much money are we getting for this? Where is the... What is the real underlying value? Mm. And and they frankly should have been... Um, <laughs> I, I'm trying to be kind. They're, I think they, they, they've drunk the Kool-Aid of the efficient market. Right. If the share price was a dollar, the market must have been right. Therefore, I get offered two dollars, and me offered something more than that. Therefore, look, we're getting a great deal. And it does feel like, to your point about private equity, I, you know, there used to be an old saying that you know you never want to be on the opposite side of a deal to Kerry Packer because he was probably going to screw you and probably going to win because he's Kerry Packer, right? And same with private equity. If someone wants to buy your business for a price they think is cheap, and you're selling to private equity, the first thing should be, hang on, <laughs> they think this is worth buying. I'm not that crazy. Like, you know, you know that, that they're telling me exactly as you said. They're telling me something right now, and maybe I'm getting this wrong. Um, management teams are way too fast to sell. Now, I will say that unfortunately, much of the market is way too short term. The fund managers with quarterly targets, the guy who owns Nearmap at you know um, Cheatham, Cheatham and Howe, uh, who's, who's the fund manager who's saying, well, uh, my, my Nearmap position was held at a dollar ten. Now it's two dollars ten. I can report that at the end of the quarter, end of September, to my to my fund holders. Look how much money I made for you. I can imagine them also wanting to do the deal because they don't want to wait three years for the shares to go from two dollars back to four dollars. Even though, if you could double your share price over three years, that's an astonishing return. Mm. That's 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 future fund managers' problem. Not today's fund manager just wants to keep his job and wants to get his bonus and make his make his fund holders happy. So there's so yeah, many. Why should the board? They, I mean, you're, you're right, but why should the board give a stuff what the fund manager thinks? Well, I mean, the problem, this, this right? is because this is they, the perversion of things because they they yeah. do get in their ear and it's just like bugger off. I'm here. I'm creating value for shareholders, not for yeah. these promiscuous here for a short time, not a long time, good time kind of people. <laughs> yeah, I just, yeah. I've, it just, it's a, it is, it is really the whole, the whole. Yes. As you say, they're not looking through the right lens, which is long-term shareholder wealth creation and yes. sensible capital allocation. I don't think most directors have a sense of the intrinsic value of their business. No. And that step one should be, you know, they should be able to pull out, whenever they take over offer, they should be able, it's not going to happen, they should be able to pull out a piece of paper and say, but last board meeting, we updated our intrinsic value of this business and we said it was worth $3.20 mm. or dollar forty or $4.60 or $0.85. Cents. And that's why we think this is a good deal, a bad deal, we're taking the offer, not taking the offer. Yeah. But like everyone, they, they look backwards and say, the market was saying $1.10, now it's more. Here's my only challenge, mate, to your point. I, 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 it is a perversion. But the challenge is that the directors work for the owners. And if the owners are 80% fund managers who just care about the next quarter, they're completely within their rights for their bosses, the owners, to say, take the bloody deal. Yeah. And so my, my only challenge with any of this stuff is just to think about what's being, 
you know, do, do, I, do I wish directors and shareholders were long-term? You know, do I wish they were like Warren Buffett and the, and the others? Yes, absolutely. Or if David Dicker at Dicker Data, for example, or there's plenty of others who just said, you know what, stuff you. I'm, this is all about the long-term. This is what I'm doing. This is why I'm doing it. If you don't like it, I don't care, you know? Mm. But we've yep. seen CEOs, you know, and, and boards turned over by fund managers for not going along with things, for, not, for getting, it, getting things wrong, you know? And I, I, mm. if, they, if, if their job is to work for the owners and the owners say overwhelmingly, take the deal because I want the number in the next quarter. Mm. I, I hate the fact that's the market that we have, but I'm also not entirely sure directors are horribly wrong to say they, 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 they sign the checks. They, you know, they, they are telling me to sell this business. I'm, I'm going to do what the majority of shareholders want. That's my, that's my duty. That's my job. That, that, is, that, that is a good point. Although it, it brings up another thought when it comes to the, their role, mm. which is probably, I should have mentioned before, one of, one of communication. Mm. You are like yeah, back, yeah. Back, to, back to the um, East India Company, the first sort of <laughs> limited liability company. You know, the, the, it was lots and lots of people bought shares and they said, hey, we, wanna, we, we, we all want to know what's going on with our business. Let's elect a board of representatives mm. who will act on our behalf. That's where, where it all sort of came from. So they know the management, um, the CEO is, is the employee um, of shareholders and, yes. and by proxy the board and they report to the, to, to the board. The board's role, I would say, as part of all of that, therefore, is to have a thorough understanding of the business um, they're not running it day to day. That's the CEO and senior mm. management's mm. role, but but they are in constant contact with them, mm. and they want to know exactly what is going on, exactly what the opportunity, exactly what the risks are. So, okay, they've got a bunch of perhaps fund managers, and maybe the majority of shareholders are short term focus, and they're acting in that interest. But shouldn't it shouldn't it be the case? <clears throat> and maybe this is the tell, by the way. But shouldn't it be the case if you're sitting there knowing more than anyone else about the company because it's your company, mm. you're on the inside here. To, to articulate the case for value and sort of say, listen, Mr. Fund Manager and other major shareholders, I get you. I totally get where you're coming from, but listen to me. Mm. You know, we, we have grown our revenues from $18 million in 2014 to $150 million last year. It's going parabolic. We've barely touched into the US market. We're growing, uh, at, at, you know, like, like the clappers, and we've got incredible gross margins. If we just do nothing but just continue this trajectory – We'll be gushing free cash flows within the next five and ten years. Stay with me. Stay with me. Um, I like that, mate. I think that's a very, very, very good point. As one I have. As, really, as, as, yeah. as I say all of that, though, I do come back to your original point, which is maybe, you know, maybe that maybe there's a board member listening now. He's going, "Yeah, we know, Andrew, but that's the, that's <laughs> that's exactly it. We're taking we're not the money. Confident. <laughs> we're not confident of this. Exactly. That's why we're getting the hell out. We can't exactly. say that. So I don't know. I don't exactly. Know. Mate, um, let's let's move on to to some other earnings news from this week. Um, I thought well, there was a really funny. I think it was Tuesday this week. We had Coles come out and say, "Hey, profits good. Uh, shares were down four percent." Tabcorp came out and said, "Hey, profits are down twenty one point seven percent. Shares are up four percent." And it's that reminder, as I like to do. It's, it feels a bit cute, but it's you know, I think it's a serious point. This is expectations season, not earnings season. Mm-hmm. And in both of those cases, we saw businesses say, "Here was the past." but the future is going to be different. Mm-hmm. In Tabcorp's case, uh, really messy because they spun off the Lottery Corporation, so it was a really tough one to actually try and analyse. But even with those continuing operations, earnings being down 20%, they said, hey, we're, we're in growth mode, the future's going to be brighter, it's going to be fantastic. Cole said, yeah, so here's the thing. Uh, we had a lot of sales last year because everyone stayed home. Uh, they're probably going to go to restaurants now, and by the way, inflation's going to suck. 
And so next year's going to be tough. Maybe sales are even negative. Sales growth is negative. Um, maybe inflation takes a bite out of our, our operations. Uh, you're going to have to bunker down. I thought that was just interesting from... Uh, I don't know how much that we need to talk about it, but just interesting from a, a couple of perspectives. First, as I say, it is earning, it is expectation season, not earning season. It is a question of how do they do versus expectations and what is the outlook? And that is far more about the way share prices are moved on the release of earnings rather than the actual quality of the result in and of itself. So the difference between what was expected and then what's coming next. And also, I think just that question about the economy we're moving into. Uh, there's a couple others. Uh, a couple other people made some statements this week as well. We'll get to one of those in a minute. But um, I really, uh, I feel like we're at an inflection point, right? I feel like we're in the middle of the seesaw right now. And I'm not sure which way we go next. Uh, maybe it goes up, maybe it goes down. But there is really a sense of June 30 is probably not quite exactly the inflection point, but it doesn't seem like it's far away, right? The first rate rise was early May. We had two by the time June 30 came. Uh, reasonably small impact, uh, more since. Um, outlook very different for different businesses. I uh, just thought it was just thought it was interesting that, and worth commenting on the the, the way the, the future outlook, the expectations, the forecast from management really do push share prices around. Oh yeah, it's it's everything. Um, what do I say? Yeah, say anything. I, it's not, I know. I know. It's, I guess not my point. I look at Coles. I look at Woolies too, and I see two phenomenal Aussie companies. Yeah. Um, you're gonna get. You're gonna. They're gonna throw out dividends forever, right? Uh, I. I don't think that you know, the, the likes of Deliveroo's and the rest. You know, the, the what's the one that delivers pre-cooked meals to your door? All, all of that kind of stuff. I just. Yeah, they're Hello always Fresh. gonna be there. Hello Fresh, thank you. Yeah. Yes, the Aldis and the Costcos are gonna come and sort of steal some market share. They're doing a really good job of that, but they're, they're gonna be around for for a long time. Very defensive. There's just so much to like about the businesses. What I don't get, and I kind of get, but I don't get, <laughs> is how these companies trade at the multiples they do. Coles just yeah. came out and said what it said, right? Now, but let, let's just look at look at fact to start off with here. Earnings have basically gone sideways yep. for the last three years. Um, they've not they've not done anything, right? Um, it's just the kind of environment that we've been in, I suppose. I don't know. Um, and now they're sort of saying, yeah, that, that next year is going to be a bit tough. I look at all the super smart analysts who publish their their forecasts <laughs> and that. And a and, <laughs> little bit tongue in cheek there, but you know they're all they're all basically saying, yeah, we might get three or four percent earnings growth, and and they're always optimistic, right? Um, Coles is trading at a PE of twenty three. That's a lot. Square that. Woolworths <laughs> is trading at a, a multiple of earnings. Yeah. So again, if they pay out every, they don't because they need to keep some money in the kitty. They pay out every single cent of their net profit every year. It's going to take you twenty three years to get your money back. Yeah. You know, um, uh, and we're going into a higher rate environment where higher multiples are going to be more difficult. I don't get it. I just don't get it. Um, and I, I think the only way I can square the circle is that they have what you might call a defense premium in the sense that when, when people are scared who have a lot of money and it's not so much about getting a great return, it's about capital preservation. Um, you know, I've, I've got I've got a hundred million dollars I need to look after. Jeez, I can't put it in the bank. I don't want to play around with bonds because of what's happening. It's a whole other story. I'll just put it in this equity here, which look give give me three percent a year in dividends, and if I can get my money back in ten years, I'll I'll consider that a win. That, that is the only way I can square that circle. What what am I missing? It, no, it's a, it's a really. I, this is the hardest part I think for most investors who try to learn investing from first principles. Ironically. 
Mm. Because to, to your very point, there is no justification academically, theoretically for those share prices. I checked no. Woolish well, PE. Apparently, it's 30 times earnings of Comsex do you believe. Coles yeah. on 23. Now, that, that, is, you know, that, 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 that should be 15, 18% a year earnings growth type, type territory. Right, yep. so just by a P of thirty, you should mm. be able to compound, and not just one year. Compound your earnings at fifteen or eighteen percent for years to justify that mm. sort of PE. Mm. Um, there are other businesses growing faster with lower PEs, and we might get to some of the some of that conversation about retail in a minute. Um, it's you're not missing anything, mate, except that I think this is where, and this is why it makes investing really difficult. Is and also, by the way, gives us an opportunity, but but we have to be able to pass it because the computers would say. Woolworths, the, the real value of Woolies is probably 18 times earnings. And so the share price, far from being whatever it is now, let me look quickly look it up, rather than being $37, should be closer to 18 bucks. Mm. 90 bucks, 20 bucks, right? The, 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 mathematically, if you, if you were to grab out a discounted cash flow and say, what should it be worth? Now, I'd say the same about CSL, by the way. There are favourites, in quotes, favourite companies that people just love the hell out of for whatever reason. As you say, this case, it's the defensive nature of the business. Mm. Um, mm. Others just have this kind of halo of air quotes quality not they're not quality businesses but the the air quotes are probably a bit ott um that's that's the real challenge i think for these companies is um or for investors investing in these companies is there is no justification for that share price for bullies if you use any sort of financial theory all you can do is say well if people love it for the reasons you've identified or others and they keep loving it then i guess the price might be sustainable because there's always going to be a an amount of money chasing Woolies or Coles or something else at these sort of multiples just because it's safe and it's defensive and there's a dividend and that's probably enough. And the hard part it, for us, go on. Well, well even, even if that is the case, let's say the multiple stays that way forever. Yep. I'm getting a 3.5% yield, yep. getting 3%, let's call it sort of growth in the system. Mm. I'm still getting a total shareholder return mm. of, you know, 6 7%, well below market average, mm. um, and entirely predicated on... The, the market multiple never quote-unquote normalising. And that's what I mean, but that, that's why it's tough, right? Because the CSL multiple hasn't normalised in 20 years. <laughs> and yeah, so this it's, is, been gro- it's been growing a lot faster than Oh, than yeah, calls. but but yeah. but I would argue that at a multiple, it doesn't justify it anyway. The, the CSL mm-hmm. multiple, I think, used to be 40 times. I don't know what it is now. Um, let me quickly pull it up. It is... How's this for real time? 40. Yeah, it's still uh, 40. 40, there you go. You know what I mean? So the, it doesn't justify that either. Um, I, I think that that's the, that's the challenge, right? As you look at these businesses... Um, and, you know, I, I think it's, it, it's worth saying or worth asking the question of, is, can, can the growth justify 40 PE? No, I don't think so. Can will these growth justify 30 PE? No. I, I don't mean that necessarily one is better than the other. I arguably, I don't even know. I don't know if CSL is better. I, but on the multiple, the other thing about multiples is, but when you get higher, they kind of get exponential at some point. You know, the, a multiple of 40 is not just a third more expensive than 30. I mean, it is literally... Mm. But mm. to justify that, the, the size of the growth and the duration of the growth has to be just so much larger to get mm. to that point. Um, to P of 50 again is just stupidly higher again. It, so it's, it, it doesn't seem exponential, but it's almost like Richter scale stuff. It, it, just, it just changes the, the tone of what you have to do. So I'm not, I'm not even sure which one's cheaper or more expensive really, um, at least in theory because of lower PE. CSL may be cheaper because it's growing faster, but both seem just out, of, out, of the, out of the realms of reasonables. By the way, I will say, you and I had lunch yesterday. There'll be a photo uh, that'll appear on social media soon. Uh, one of our listeners sent us some T-shirts. We mentioned, I, mean, I want to say two years ago, mate. Ages and, ago. Well, yeah. COVID happened, right? So you and I literally hadn't been in the same room since. So we, we yes. finally had, had lunch, uh, saw each other in the flesh, and uh, there was a photo coming soon. So stay tuned for that one. Um, but you were making the point about, about share prices re-rating or not re-rating. 
Mm. Um, you know, you, at that point, we about a small company that had, didn't, you know, didn't trade many shares. And you're saying there's a liquidity discount. That mm. means you're not going to, you know, it might be eight or 10 times or 12 times earnings, whatever it was. You're not going to get it to go to 20 because if you're only trading a few thousand dollars worth of shares a day, you're just not going to get that because, you know, people aren't going to buy it because they can't get out. Um, so that, that, and, and that's not, that's the, that's the reverse version. In both cases, you would think the theory would say this company's too cheap or these companies are too expensive and yet they stay that way. And that's, I think, the hardest part for investors. It's why I've always been a little bit careful of trying to be too clever. I'm, I probably have a value background, I guess. Like I started trying to do all these ratios and stuff and you know, DCFs and that kind of thing. I think the problem with that at some level is you have to be relatively honest with yourself about the way the market works, which is, mm. you know, Yogi Bear was quite about in theory, there's no difference between theory and practice, but in practice there is. Mm. Um, if the market's not going to give you even even if even if a company like deserves a higher multiple, it was never going to happen. Then buying it just for the re-rating is a waste of time because it's never going to happen. Uh, and so you always got to go back to okay, well, what's the compound growth of the business? And it's why I tend to focus on the business more than some sort of indicative price discount because you just can't you can't count on it. You know, it's supposed to if you believe the maths, but they don't often do that. I mean, Woolies should not be at this multiple. CSL arguably shouldn't be. There are some cheap companies that shouldn't be that cheap either. But if yeah. they never change, they never change, and there's no point hoping it's going to change and setting an investment thesis around it. So so how I square that circle, so the company that we were talking about, yes, I won't mention it because mm. it's like it's literally yeah. a $5 million market cap company, <laughs> like $5,000 traded yesterday. Right, so, right. You know, it's like, it's, it's, it's insane to think That's more. that there are houses in Coogee worth more than this <laughs> ASX listed company. That is that is a bit bizarre, actually. You wrap your head around that, right? And I'm not talking about some little speculative Perth-based mining exploration company. I'm talking about a, a real business that has real sales and strong growth. You know, anyway, um, the the different that the way I square it is is that I recognize that I might not get that that multiple expansion. That I think it's silly for investors yeah. to go in saying, "Oh, look at this! The the, yes. the, the, yeah. the 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 PE is ten; it should be twenty. I'm going to buy it and wait for that to happen." But I can still do okay if the PE never changes. So, so just to back off, back off a second here, share price is a function. So, price earnings ratio, the PE equals price over earnings. Mm-hmm. So, um, the mathematically minded among you know that you can rearrange that equation to say that price equals the earnings per share times the PE. So another way of just saying that in plain English, share price is always a function of what the earnings per share are of the company and the multiple that the market's prepared to give that. So what that says is that, so I can either make money because the multiple goes up or because earnings go up, or this is a thing of beauty, both of them go up. And I get, <laughs> that, that, and is I get, the, that is the magic, yeah, exactly. That is just, lo- and that's exactly what I look for. But but if it doesn't, if the PE doesn't expand and I never get that sort of that liquidity premium, I'm still okay because I feel as though the earnings are going to grow at a decent clip. And if the earnings grow at 10% plus per year, happy days, I, you know, job done. But if I do get that, what a lovely free kick. So I'll never, I'll never predicate an investment on the expectation that that will happen. Although if it does happen, I'm not going to complain. Where I flip it around for something like the coals of, of this world is, is that, okay, maybe I can play that same game as well and say, well, okay, the PE is, is never going to, to, to re-rate that's fine. I'll just, my, my growth will be a function of, in this case, dividends and you've got to factor that in for a mature company, dividends and, and earnings growth. But, but when you look at it, you think, well, as I just said before, there's six, 7%. Yeah. And if, and again, I can't predict it, maybe it never happens, but if it does, if the re-rate 
does happen and 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 Coles goes from a PE of 23 down to something more realistic like 15 it's that I always talk about asymmetry. I know I go on and on and on about it, but it's just like that's that's the opposite of the kind of asymmetry you want. It's like if I get it right, I get a really mediocre return. And if I get it wrong, I suffer a <laughs> massive stuffed. loss. Whereas the first example I go was like I get it right, I get a, a decent return, I get the PE assumption wrong, I get a phenomenal return. Mm-hmm. Isn't isn't that the game mm-hmm. that I want to play? Um, so, so, so I, I get what you're saying, and I know you're not. You're saying I know you're not saying just invest in it anyway and just accept it, suck it up. The PE is always going to be stupid for that. I know you're not saying that, mm-hmm. but I guess my my um, warning or caution to investors is just just be mindful of of what the what's the crux of your investment thesis here. If it is predicated on these multiples never changing, yep. and let's not forget, we seem to be going into a higher inflation and therefore higher interest rate world, and therefore mm-hmm. more all things being equal, very likely a lower multiple world. Just just be careful of that downside risk because everything that you know about the company, you could have done the deepest dive, you could have you could have been like a Tom Bravo and gone into the data room and interviewed management and looked through everything with forensic accountants. If the market just is in a different mood in three to five years time when you're looking at selling, it's all out the window. And you just don't want to be beholden to that, as far as I'm concerned. I would love to be able to buy whole businesses. Oh yeah, it'd be great. Wouldn't you love to buy, buy, buy the cash flows? Like, and this is this is the beauty of uh, Warren Buffett. Uh, Sol Pat's to a lesser degree own both those businesses. West Farmers kind of a bit, um, but when you get to actually catch the cash flows, not just have to rely on the. Sh- I mean, you get dividend of course, but rely on share price movements. Mm-hmm. If you could buy a business with growing profits, and you could pay a decent price for those profits and own that business forever. Uh, or as long as you wanted to sell it. But, you know, broadly speaking, that whole idea is just so much more attractive for exactly the reasons you, you pointed out. You're not relying on, uh, if you're a private equity, you probably do want to spin it back onto the market at some point, load it up with debt, uh, find some poor suckers to buy the shares and, uh, and, and rinse and repeat. But um, it'd be lovely. It'd be lovely to be able to do that. Yeah, mate, I'm not, you're right. I'm not saying people should just accept it and do it anyway. I guess my broader point is that the market doesn't, Things happen. Things happen at on average levels, right? Not not individual stock levels. Whether we're talking about portfolio returns or risk and reward or whatever, just worth remembering that you know the, the maths, the, the algebra, the theory doesn't always hold true for every single company for all those reasons. If Woolies has got a P of thirty in ten years, mate, I'm not going to be the slightest bit surprised. Oh no, because you know, no, it's no. Just, it, you know, not should it? No. Would uh, you? Might it? <laughs> would you be surprised if it was on a P of sixty? Yes. So I would be too, or, or forty, for example. So again, it just, it just. Yeah. So I, I, I totally take that point. It's just yeah. that I feel as though if you want to hold a gun to my head and say, "Have a guess," <laughs> yeah, yeah. is the risk to the downside or the upside? Oh, I, no, I multiple. I it's, like, oh, it's, it's to the downside. Yeah. You know, so yeah. it's kind of like, yeah, it could, it could, probably, maybe, maybe you want to use that word. But geez, you want to hope so because everything else goes out the window on a company that's growing at three percent, whose PE goes from thirty back to twenty, which is still pretty high for a company growing at three. Yeah, it really is. Yeah, you know. I hear your point to going private. There are three reasons, I, as far as I'm concerned, is why you would ever list on the stock exchange if you're a mm-hmm. business. Mm-hmm. The first is to exit. Yep. I spent um, 10 years building this business. It's on theory worth a bunch, but until I sell it, it's, it's worth nothing, right? So I just I want to get out. In fact, you, you would be surprised the number of prospectuses you could read. And they say, reason for listing to offer exit liquidity for the founders. Mm-hmm. No, they just say it, black and white, yeah. just, I want out. And Which fair, nothing, by the way. Nothing wrong with that. Yeah, I mean, yeah. just like, you know, I'm, I'm, I've done this thing. It's time to hand the baton over. But that's just bear in mind that they're selling it because they, they, they want to get out or at least get out in part. Mm. 
The other and the other major one would be funding. The great great advantage of being listed is is that you've got access to a bigger pool of capital than you would as a private business, yeah. because you can do capital raisings. You can you can do all of these kinds of things. Um, uh, and maybe there's a third reason in hubris because it just you know it's nice to say you're the CEO of a, of a listed company, because <laughs> yeah. we're we're status we're status oriented creatures. Um, but other than that, it's just like oh my gosh, I've got to I, I think about I, I we we speak to a fair few CEOs and I do sympathise with them. It's like oh man, how many how many investor meetings have you done this <laughs> this month? Like I would far prefer you be out there running the business, not talking to idiot fund managers and the rest of it, and just. And then having to put all these detailed reports together every quarter, every half, you know, it's just sort of like, I just want to get on with running the business, you know, and I want to be able to get on with running the business, looking at things for a sort of three to five year time frame, not constantly having to manage things for the next quarter. So there's a lot of downside with, with listing. And um, I don't know, what's, what's my point? Yeah, I guess my point, I'm, I'm reiterating your point here is like, I think uh, except for the fact Unless you just want to get the hell out personally, or you mm. or you want access to more funding, why would you list? Yeah, absolutely. It's a, well, I mean, and, and you know, I guess if you're going to make a sale too, you're going to. We talked about liquidity before. You will get more, all things be equal, uh, listing on the stock market. You will try to find a private buyer. Oh, that's why private equity does it, right? So, oh, exactly. oh yeah. Yeah. yeah, yep, yep, yep. Motley Fool Money. For more, subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash listener. Mate, um, so so we've talked about capital management, we've talked about fundraising, talked about the, the movements of the moves of the market. Uh, Qantas, massive loss, no surprise. Planes weren't in the air, oil prices through the roof. Uh, we all know that we've been filling up at the pump. So massive loss. Obviously, it's going to conserve its cash, right? <laughs> what cash? <laughs> well, the cash it's otherwise going to spend on a four hundred million dollar buyback, apparently. Yeah, yeah. I. Yeah. Let me let me let me let me so let me unpack this a little bit and I'll get your thoughts. Uh, why would so if you have a excess cash, you can do a few things with it as a company. You can invest it in growth. You can invest in your own operations, or you can buy something to grow the business. You can give your shelves a dividend, or you can I guess you can pay down debt if you got debt, or you could buy back your shares. Mm. And all things being equal, we just talked about Nimat. All things being equal, if shares are too cheap, a company absolutely should, as long as it can afford to, conservatively in terms of the balance sheet, as long as it can afford to buy back those shares, it should do it. Because mm. if you know, um, if you and I were going halves in a house and the housing market crashed 80%, and I'm like, oh man, it's not going to stay this cheap. Uh, Andrew, do you want to sell me the half of your house that, the half of your house that you own? Uh, and you might say no, or you might say yes, but I'm going to want to buy an undervalued asset. And if you own a company, this is a bit weird for people who haven't done this for too long, the shares of a company uh, are available to be bought back and cancelled, which means that those who remain have more of the business left over. Mm-hmm. So it makes a whole lot of sense. If you have a, a company that is simply way too cheap, undervalued, and you have the cash and capability, buying back shares is one of the smartest things you can do. Buffett's bought back billions of shares. Apple's bought back billions of shares. I can't immediately think of an Australian example. Um, but you know, if, you, if your company's going too cheap, buy back the shares and create value for those of us who hang around. It's a spectacularly good idea. Yep. I'm not sure Qantas is in that space. Mm. Yeah, there's a couple things that, that stick in my craw about it. So they're talking about a $400 million buyback. That'll buy, did a few, 
did a few quick sums here. They did buy them back about 90 million shares. Okay. So that, that'll take about 4.5% of shares on issue uh, off the market. So it's not exactly this, but roughly that'll, that'll all else being equal, that'll boost their per share earnings by about 4.5%. Yeah, that's that's not that's not bad. Okay, I I I, I get that. You take that, yeah. Um, they've also got four billion dollars in debt, so you've got to you've got to also wash. You know, now I know that they've they've got three point three billion in cash or something like that, but they're in a net debt position. It's a very very capital intensive business. It's it's probably appropriate for them to have some debt, um, but that's a heck of a lot of debt, and um, we know that they can they can have uh, turbulent times. Excuse the pun, very much intended. Um, <laughs> just just in the airline business, British, and so yeah. that you, gun, you you sometimes things come out of left field and they knock you around. Yeah. Uh, things like um, oh geez, I don't know. Well, oh, pandemic, global pandemic is what you know, absolutely wipe your business. What are the odds? Out. What are the odds? What are the odds? You know, and and this is not the first time. Well, maybe that the first time that a coronavirus has sort of swept across the globe. But there is all always things with airlines. There's always something. You know, uh, it's why they're such horrible businesses. And the reason that they're still here today, pondering this position, is because you and me and 25 other million people reached into our pockets and said, <laughs> here you go, Alan Joyce. We'll keep you afloat. Yeah. Yeah. Now, we, we did. No one we feels, did. doesn't directly, the government came in and I, I tried to look it up beforehand, but it was some, something like $2 billion in, in government assistance when you add it all up. I think maybe yeah. even a little bit more because there was a, it was an older article that I, I found there. And, and you could say, well, it was a, it was emergency times. Mm-hmm. It was appropriate. We had to save jobs. We had to do all of this kind of stuff. I'm like, no, I get that. That's 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 pretty fair. Mm-hmm. But I'm just so angry at the government because it was our money. It's just like, well, let's bail them out. But let's in every other country, you know what they did? They bought equity for that money. That's we just gave we just it. gave it to them. We gave it to them. Now, it annoys the hell uh, out of me. My business my business didn't get you know that kind of level of of support. Oh, um, so hang on. That's why you're cranky. So if you, what do they say? It's only a reward if you're not in on it. Is that, is that the problem? Just, what is it with Qantas? <laughs> it is a private company. We tra- there is this yeah. thing. There is this uh, nationalistic pride that goes. It's, it's a for-profit company. Airlines are still that special weird thing in our heads, aren't they? There's kind of there's something so romantic about the idea of an airline, about a flag carrier, about there's something. It shouldn't be, of course, but but there is something special in the public mind about about that idea. It, maybe if it was 1952 <laughs> and this is still a reasonably yeah. novel thing, get yeah, over yeah. it, world. We have planes. Everyone does. There's nothing <laughs> special. We've got decades and decades of seeing the most crappy businesses that ever existed on the face yeah. of the planet lighting fire to share, <laughs> shareholder capital. Qantas is, pro- is regarded as one of the best-run airlines in the world and has yeah. been for a while. Yeah. And even it is terrible. If you go back, too, by the way. Oh yeah! Oh, look! It's like they've done a spectacular job. But you go back, you go back to 1996 or whenever they first listed, and you bought shares then. And you've gone through the good times and the bad. You smooth out the cycles, the ups, the downs, all of that kind of stuff. My shares have grown by about two and a half percent per annum, mm. <laughs> like less than inflation. It's like it's awful. And for some reason, we just we just give them these free kicks. And I, again, I'm not. I I I think the people who work there do a wonderful job. I think that they the government was right to step in, not just for them, but for for a lot of places, just to sort of you know stave off disaster. And but but the fact that we did that for nothing in return. Yep. We should have we should have either taken a huge amount of of shares, the Australian public, put it in the super, put it in the um the the our sovereign fund, right? Something like that. Uh, yeah. Or let's just give it to you at a very very attractive rate of interest, and then you can pay us back. So now they they, they survived 
by virtue of that, they fired a bunch of people anyway, yeah. right? That's why there's been disaster at Sydney Airport and the rest of it. Yeah, um, that's right. And now they're saying, oh, we've got $400 extra billion. Dollars. In fact, yeah. we've got so much money, we're going to put it into the, into the pockets of shareholders. And the rest of Australia is sitting there with its thumb up its backside going, what? You know, it just, it, it's, mm-hmm. I get rant over, but I find it offensive. I yes, we said that at the time. By the way, I'm pr- I'm almost certain we said it on the podcast. I certainly have said it in different places. I've uh, written about it. Uh, the idea of companies being given government bailouts without the government taking an equity stake is just bizarre to me. I just for the life of me don't understand it. Um, like think it through. Think it through. Had yeah. we done that, yeah, we still would have kept the jobs. They would have had the cash yeah, that correct. they needed to correct. keep. So job done. Who? Who loses in that situation? Yep. Well, the shareholders lose because yep. they would have yep. they would have been diluted. Here's the choice, shareholders. By the way, shareholders, a little bit of a note here: investing involves risk, yep. like kind of implicit in the definition of it. Here's your choice as a shareholder: go to zero or get diluted. What do you want? <laughs> and, literally, and, you, and that was it. You like, choose. This is, corporate, this is absolute corporate welfare. Like you know, that, that's not hyperbole from you. They're literally, there no. was, you know, Qantas probably doesn't exist without government handout, which is fine. I think we should have absolutely done something to make sure we had airlines in the sky, Virgin, Qantas, whatever. We don't want a situation where we have no airlines because that's, you know, not the world world's worst problem, but it's probably not a great mm. thing for the country. So, yeah, you no. want to keep them in the sky. And, yes, government has a role to play. All we're asking, you're asking for, and I, I, I 100% agree with you. We said at the time, I'll happily say again, uh, all we're asking for is that the taxpayer actually gets something for the money uh, rather than just a, a, a bit of government, you know, uh, corporate welfare and, and off you go corners, pay $400 million back to, back to shareholders. It's, it's bizarre. It's, a, it's just offensive. It really is. It really is. Anyway, um, yes. I wouldn't touch shares with a barge pole. <laughs> so funny about, so this is the other thing about the NIMAP stuff we talked about earlier, mate. If you look at the Qantas numbers, um, I did the numbers uh, a week or so ago and remember the Jeff Dixon takeover in 2000, I think it's 2007, it was mooted. There was a private equity kind of bid, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. kind of aborted bid for Qantas back in, I think it was 2007. And the shares have gained something like 2% a year since then. That, that was kind mm. of, I literally the numbers and kind of went, man, like, you know, to, so to, to the deals right. that should have been taken and not taken, yeah. Qantas board should have fallen over themselves to take that money back then. Um, yeah. So there are situations where boards should take the cash, absolutely. Uh, and frankly, if you ever get off money for an airline, you should take it because it's one of those businesses you really don't want to own. Um, I'm I'm impressed that people. I don't know. I don't know. I'd rather I'd rather own Woolies at a P of thirty than Qantas. Put it that way. Oh hell yeah, <laughs> hell yeah. I mean, look at it's, it's just a. Dis- I mean, they lost something like one point three billion dollars last year. Yeah, now, obviously, yeah. there's there's reasons for all of that yep. kind of stuff. But then, if it's not that, it's higher fuel prices. You know, if it's not that, it's it's uh, industrial action. Uh, if it's not that, it's a hyper competitive, irrational market where you know people will just sell seats at a lower price. You know, it's just it, 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 there are so many things that can and do go wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, it's 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 just I I just don't know why anyone would do it. There's, there are probably points in the cycle where it's just so damn cheap, where it's just so bombed out that you can make a deep value play, and and that's. <laughs> That's yeah. I'll, I'll I'll pay that if that's your very yeah, explicit yeah. sort of investment thesis, but it's something to sort of tuck under the bed the the mattress. Oh my gosh, what a what a what a disaster, mate. Um, I'm going to talk a bit more about earnings before we move off this one. Um, I was re- so I own shares in two companies, Kogan and ARB. Yes, drink for everyone who's paying attention. Um, I was really so ARB's numbers weren't were good. Uh, Kogan's numbers weren't great. 
I talked about this a lot before. I'm not going to talk about those necessarily now. I don't want to, you know, I still own shares for what the record. It's still both still buyers for me for the record. Just put that out there for anyone who's wondering. But I want to move on to something else. I was really impressed. Now, I will say I'm probably biased because they're companies I own shares in. That being said, I've absolutely bagged Telstra and others for being not forthright in their communication with shareholders. Telstra's making this massive loss and saying, Telstra dividends up on the headline of their press release was uh, a pretty ordinary combination of communication uh, choices. But uh, I, so two things I just want to, I want to share. If you are half interested, um, ARB's shareholder presentation was excellent. They released earnings and they gave so much detail by organization, by geography, by business line versus last year. They gave the half on half numbers. A lot of companies when they do full year results just show a full year number. And so you get half a year and then a full year, you got to do the maths and subtract the difference. It was just a really, really, it's not, it's not nothing. Here's the thing. It shouldn't be notable. This should be standard. This should be. This should be. You know. This should be exactly what you would do if you were trying to be fair and clear and open with shareholders. Um, mm. Some of the numbers were great. Some weren't so great. Um, they actually highlighted the fact, for example, that growth slowed in the second half. If they just showed the full year numbers, they could have avoided all that. Look at the full year number. Uh, great first half, not a great second half. If they just showed the full year number, it would have looked great. Um, I thought it was a really, really impressive presentation. They tried to show a lot of detail. They were candid. They were uh, upfront. They were honest. And they gave the investors, potential investors and current investors, exactly the information they need to make an informed judgment about the business. And I thought that's, again, it shouldn't be notable. This should be standard, but it's not. I want to give them a wrap. And then Kogan will give a quick wrap to um, three words in the press release. We were wrong. And, you know, that's, and again, should, should, that be, should that be surprising? Should that be notable? No, of course not. But how often do you see managers say, yeah, we stuffed up. We made a mistake. We got it wrong. Never. Uh, and, and they deserve a, a, a large amount of credit for, again, should they? Probably not, right? <laughs> Tell the truth. What, what, what credit do you want for that? Um, but in this day and age between investor relations spinners who spend their entire lives trying to dress things up, the temptation um, and pressure to hide the bad news, to show the good news, all that kind of stuff, it takes a bit of guts. It takes a bit of honesty. It takes a bit of um, commitment frankly, to say, here's, here's the reality of the businesses. So uh, again, there are other businesses probably even better than these two. I don't, I'm not suggesting these are the best businesses on either of those scores. Uh, as I said, I own shares, so I'm probably biased. Uh, although I give Telstra and others a whack when they deserve it. So I hope I'm not too biased, um, but just, just want to throw that out there. I just, again, if, you, if you're interested in having a look at a couple of press releases or a couple of uh, management presentations, I'd highly recommend those two just to see how it can be done better than most ASX companies do it during earnings season. Yeah. Yeah, ARB is just such a um, – it, it's becoming better known, but it's just such a great Australian success story. Mm. The uh, the founders um, are still around. They, they take a very, very modest amount of pay. They just got a huge amount of shares, and that's how they get their return. Lo and behold, the dividend history has been phenomenal. Yeah, you can go yeah. back to – just consistent, steady, reliable, rising, you know, just a very, very well-run company. They, they operate in a space where they, they absolutely position themselves at the top end of the retail spectrum. We are, mm -hmm. we are ultra high quality. Anyone who's got a four-wheel drive knows about ARB. Yes. Uh, in fact, now that I've said this, if, especially if you're listening to this in the car, you can play Spoto with ARB <laughs> stickers. <laughs> don't, don't make it a drinking game. You'll, uh, you'll... No, no. But once you, once you know of it, you'll, start, you'll see them everywhere. Mm -hmm. And if, if, you, if you love your ute, if you love your four-wheel drive, it's just like you, the, you, there's ARB or there's a bunch of secondhand rubbish kind of stuff. Um, but yeah, I just I'll, I'll I'll give a shout out to 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 the Brown Brothers and and the company. It's just it's phenomenal business, and um, I wish I owned some. <laughs> Mate, I don't because I'm probably too too fussy on the valuation. <laughs> another another company I own, Domino's. Um, 
profit. The share shop seven and a half percent the other day uh, on reasonably ordinary um, earnings. Another one of those stories of expectations. They're going to open some stores, buy some more stores. Um, the, the market seemed to love the the, the outlook. I it drives me. I, I like share pricing, Chris. I'll take it. I'm a shareholder, but. Um, none of this should have been particularly new. Like there was, there was no, you know, if it was, if it was a case of the market being overly pessimistic before and then realizing they'd been pessimistic and that's why the share jumped, then fair enough. If they're getting super excited about something that just is business, I mean, they're opening three hundred stores in Asia. They're going to open more than in Australia alone. It was, it was a nothing announcement to mine. I mean, yeah, again, I like Domino's. They do a great job. I'm not criticizing mm. them at all. Mm. The market response to these things is often just stupid. Um, what I thought was interesting though was Don May, the, the CEO there, is expecting inflation to ease into 2023. And again, I own shares, uh, but this time I'm going to just ask the rhetorical question: How does Don know if none of the rest of us do? Uh, I, well, he's he's entitled to an opinion, I suppose. We all are. Um, That's the thing is that I, we ask people like, "Oh, what do you think inflation's going to be next year?" Oh, and we'll report that as gospel. It's like, why why does anyone think? I mean, yeah, he's 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 kind of at the front-ish line of some of these things, he, but. Uh, unless he's signing forward contracts for 12 months for the cheese or for pepperoni mm. I, I again you're right if, if look we give opinions ourselves and I'm not criticizing for necessarily giving the opinion it's just kind of like it's getting reported people in the theory are saying, oh Don May says this or Alan Joyce says that or you know Cole CEO Stephen Kane still says this um, and you kind of think oh not entirely it's a bit like company earnings right like they don't know they, 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 you're lying about experts, you know, forecasting because they're asked, not because they know. It just, it just feels like, why would you ask a pizza boss what the inflation is going to be next year and expect that answer to be any more informed than anything else everyone else could talk about? Yeah, yeah. It's I far prefer the one, the answer, which is, look, I don't know, yeah. but this is what we're doing. Yes, that's a good one, actually. So one of the CEOs we spoke to with Strawman recently, I asked exactly that. And they said, actually, before this happened, we'd repositioned our supply chain to do this because we saw it was, we just had too much risk in this particular area. Right. Not that we knew anything was going to happen, but if anything did happen, it was just going to, it was, it was almost existential for the business. Mm. So we had to diversify the supply chain. We had to bring some stuff in-house. So they just, you've just, it's a quality of a management team who are thinking through these things as an owner of the business, you know, not as someone who's a professional man- manager who's just trying to keep the market happy and present a good story. I just think, I think by all means, have an opinion. We've all, as you say, we've all got opinions and I'm keen to see what Don thinks. That's interesting. I'm more interested in sort of saying, well, whether you're right or whether you're wrong, how's the business positioned? Mm-hmm. You know, because you, it, it's more about, it's it's all, a, I love the, the mantra of prepare, don't predict. It's yeah, just, it's right, so, it? it's such a better thing to do. It's just like, look, I probably think this will happen, but let's say I'm right. Well, this will happen. If I'm wrong, this will happen. And we're kind of ready for both circumstances. That is, mm-hmm. that is the sign of prudent management to my yeah. mind, rather than the person says, no, nah, this is definitely going to happen. I know better than <laughs> What's the problem? every single exactly. world, uh, you know, ec- economist in the world, uh, hyper dynamic complex mm-hmm. system that no one human on earth can possibly understand because it's just that complex. But I understand it. And uh, we're positioning our business to, to operate under that environment. And if I'm wrong, God help me. To be fair, Donnie, he wasn't saying that either, by the way. I know, I know. Just, I don't want to report it. Someone asked him, he gave an answer, they reported it as quasi fact. It's like, guys, you, you know, uh, I, prepare not predict is, is a great mention, not only for businesses, but also for investors, right? Oh, if you looked, 100%. If you looked at that and said, oh, well, Don says this, so therefore I should do X, mm. uh, you're falling into exactly the same trap, right? It's like, I don't know. Um, yeah. you, made, you made the point yesterday when we chatted that. Um, you know, I, I, I think we've said this before on the podcast. I get asked regularly, how are you investing in this environment? It's like, well, the same <laughs> way as always because it's always been smart to have business with, you know, moderate debt and pricing power and growth opportunities and, well, you know, great management. And, you know, there, there, is, there is very, very rarely a reason to back away. Now, you know, sometimes, I, I, you know, 
if you if you make a mistake, if you realise circumstances have changed, you need to change something. That's fair. I think a lot of people own. I I, I think it's going to get tough for people like Transurban, right? They're, they're, this is basically a, this is basically <laughs> it's a, it's a it's a debt with with toll roads attached, right? Mm-hmm. And so as prices go up, and if you didn't expect interest rates to go up or you thought it'd be low forever, you you might need to change that thesis, right? And that's very reasonable. So there are some things where you say, actually, yeah, I, I've stopped doing this because I made a mistake or because I wasn't ready for it or because I made a, a forecast or I had an expectation. Other than that, good investing is just good investing, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It, I bang my head on the on the wall every time. So, oh, okay, now that... Now, and it's always after the fact. The market <laughs> drops 20% because of X, Y, Z and then, you know, someone in a fancy suit says, well, in this kind of environment, you want to invest like that and then the market will go up 30%. Oh, in this kind of environment, you want to... Like, <laughs> A, it's too late. I mean, could yeah. you mention that like, you know, three months ago? Mm-hmm. And more to the point, it's just like, it's, I, it, the reason that they say it is because it sounds smart and everyone's selling something. Mm. And the person, the like, idiots like you and me who just say the same damn thing day <laughs> after day, quarter after quarter, it, just, it drives people mad. It's just like, oh my God, you're a broken record. It's like, well... I wish I had something interesting to say, but it's just like, it's it's really not more complicated than that. Really high quality businesses bought at an attractive price. That's it. Full stop, you know? Um, I'm not going to sell. I'm not going to sell. No one's going to sign up to my blog, right? If that's, I'm just writing an article on that every day, but uh, it's kind of what it is. It really is. It really is. Mate, uh, we talked about retail yesterday as well. I keep referring to yesterday because we've kind of, we, we, we keep threatening uh, in jest that we're going to release a podcast called and another thing where we just rant about stuff because, you know, we're just talking about stuff. Uh, but yesterday we'd have that, we'd have a chat. We talked about retail a little bit. And um, you said to me just in passing, have you seen a dares? I'm like, yeah, mate, I own a dares. Um, retail is, is there a more hated sector on the ASX than retail? Uh, it'd be hard to find, you know, things, things ebb and flow, but it's, it's with, with people, Worried about the economic outlook, they've they've taken a whack. And speaking mm. of multiples, the multiples there are really, 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 really low. Uh, you're looking at a dares case in point. So they, you know, for those that don't know, they do homewares and and all the rest of it. They're on a PE of eight. If you want to add franking credits in, you're getting a ten percent, well, actually eleven percent grossed up yield. Can, and, and we just <laughs> talked about cheap. this is the thing. We talk about Willys at thirty times earnings. We talk about CSL at forty times earnings. Mm-hmm. The, the 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 maths alone. Again, I already said we can't just rely on the maths. But the maths alone. I think could, can't you actually have a business that declines slightly at a P of eight and still make money? I'm pretty sure that yeah, the maths yeah, works yeah. out. Yep, absolutely, you can. And if you have yep. a ten year, t- say I own shares. I, I absolutely own shares. I've recommended the stock. I think it's stupid cheap. Um, even if there's a recession, even if it's an eight month recession, and you hold this thing for ten years, I just I just don't. It's not going to go broke. I don't, I don't get it. What, what am I missing, mate? What, what is the market thinking that I'm not? Well, the market's not thinking ten years. So there's, there's the first point. They're, they're, they're all thinking, you know, next six to twelve months. So the, there's that. The other thing with the other point that you make is that yeah, you can still make money on a declining business, but that also is heavily predicated on a, um, a management team and a board that are hyper aware of that reality mm. and are running the business for cash. Um, unfortunately, yeah, yeah. what you do get is you get people who, who sort of, you know, always hope springs eternal. Ah, oh, look, no, 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 we'll turn things around. And turning things around involves spending lots and lots of money. And so, so the money that is generated, even though it might be less and less every year, if it went into your pocket, great, you you come out whole. If it goes into, you know, the next 
you know, a big acquisition or in doing a whole bunch of R&D to get a new product line or that's where it gets right. And then there's, there's no money and the whole, that the, the concept that you say is right, but it is only right if management are on the same page as you. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, lots of value gets destroyed by management doing bad things. Lots of value can get created by management doing the right things at the right time. Yeah. Mate, um, can I finish off with a, a short rant? Yeah. It's not a, not, a, not, a, not a Motley Fool podcast without a rant or two. I've, I've given a good crack on Qantas. You today, did. So. But for the record, you did say, anyway, rant over. And then I said something and you ranted again. So there was, there was kind of two rants or one and a half rants or maybe I ranted two parts perhaps. Um, we, we bagged the previous government well and truly for encouraging people to, to raid their own super, to, to raid their own retirements, to buy jet skis and TVs and whatever else they were going to do during COVID. Uh, some people did it legitimately for the right reasons, but in any case, we had many, many, many better ways of supporting the economy than, than stealing from people's retirements. That was during the, the, the COVID uh, crisis. The new government has decided that super instead should be used for aged care and for social housing and for climate change and for whatever other good reasons they can come up with. And in theory, I have no issue with any of the potential uses of that money. The investments sound like they're good investments. The thing is, if super funds thought they were attractive places to invest, they'd be doing it anyway. Yeah, the, only, the, the only logical outcome is Chalmers would like, Treasury Chalmers would like, super funds to make lower returns to help the government's pet projects. Mm-hmm. And I, for the life of me, mate, have no idea... Uh, and I was going to say I don't know why they do it. Of course I know why they do it. There's $3 trillion over there and they'd rather use someone else's money. And when I say they, I mean both. Or, we, or, or we, can, we can tax you more or we can tap into this big pile of cash over here. Pretty much. Or whatever, well, tax more. They can just use tax anyway. Just it, it, it's, it's, or we can go into more debt. It's too or easy. we can take right? services away from somewhere else. It's too easy to say, hey, let's use that money over there because I can get away with it. If I convince people it's a nice idea and you know all the, all the projects are warm and fuzzy, that it's worth having lower returns inside super. And it's just not what super is for. And I just don't, for the life of me, understand why... Again, I understand why they do it. Why they can't be a little more disciplined and keep their bloody grubby hands off superannuation. I have no problems with changing stuff. I would change some stuff about super, for example. I would tax retirement incomes out of super which are over a decent threshold. So I'm not saying that super should be absolutely you're, sacrosanct. You're never not, getting elected, by the way. No, I'm not. I'm not one of those people who says, you can't possibly tinker with super because, you know, but it's like, of course you can. You take, tinker with tax and spending all the time. That's what governments do. So I'm not that. I just think if super is designed, and it is, for retirement incomes, it just beggars belief that you start to play with it and start to, again, I know why they're doing it. I absolutely know why they do it. I just, we need to be very, very strong and say, hands off super. Super is for retirement. It is retirement savings. It is for retirement incomes. It is not the plaything of whichever incumbent government decides to have a good idea for it. So in the last few mailbag episodes that we do on a Sunday, it's actually people have, we've had a question that's come up repeatedly, which is, you know, shouldn't you maximize all of your savings into super? (laughs) And it's a very rational thought yeah, because you yeah. get all these huge tax advantages. Yep. And and our answer has been, yeah, yeah. But no, and we don't. And and that you've just hit on the exact reason why I don't. And it's not again. It's not because I have a, a strong expectations of what's going to happen. But that the risk <laughs> that things get raided, that the laws get changed, politicians, the politicians. Yep. Yeah. You know, I, I I would rather have a, a yes. I'll I'll cop 
I'll cop the the less attractive um, structure of being outside of super, but having full control and 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 not having that that risk to it. I've still got plenty of money in super. I contribute yeah. to super. I'm happy to have money in super, but I don't maximize it 100% that way. Plus, I could get hit by a truck tomorrow, and it doesn't help me as well. So there's always you got to balance you got to balance things out. But just your point is the exact reason why, especially if you've got 30 years to go, is a lot can change. A lot can change in a world with. Uh, rising government debt and all kinds of fiscal and monetary problems. Very good advice. Will you join me on Sunday? You know I will. I'll talk to you then. Full on. Cheers. The Motley Fool and people appearing in this program may have positions in the companies mentioned. General advice only. Please speak to your financial professional to understand how it may pertain to your situation. Subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash listener. The Motley Fool operates under Financial Services Licence 400691.